this BuzzFeed quiz of which little woman are you? <laughs> yeah. A couple weeks ago. <laughs> uh, what what little woman are you, Eric? <laughs> well, I think it was. I I think the only answers were hybrid ones, and it was like Beth and Meg. Oh yeah. Uh, I think, which is not what I would have guessed. That was that was very shocking to me, but I guess my empathy and desire to be married won out. <laughs> I'm looking at this now. <laughs> Let's see. Um, choose a gift to bring to a friend's party. Definitely that. <laughs> Definitely that. <laughs> was it like a flower? Or uh, I picked a- an interesting book. Oh. Yeah. Okay. I kind of... I, I don't know. I, I guess I, I, I took it as like the bringing a gift to... Maybe not. I already know which little woman you're going yeah. for, but okay. <laughs> oh, I, I wasn't even like going... That's me, I guess. Uh, which yeah. volunteer opportunity speaks to you the most? Um, oh, providing music for children at a hospital. How about that? Right? Um, which of the following best describes you? Um... Let's see. I don't know. That's a trickier one. <laughs> um, let's say loyal, compassionate, and hardworking. To the helping, following would help make your sour mood better. Um, cozying up with a new book is what I'll pick from that. Choose a place you'd love to visit. I've been to three of those places. Wow. So let's see. Scotland, New Zealand, or Portugal. I think I'm going to go Scotland. Yeah. Joe and Beth. There you go. How about that? Okay. That's, that's an impressive combination. I like that a lot. Yeah. What did you say you ended up being? I think uh, Beth and um, Meg. Okay. Yeah, that's good, too. Interesting. Well, they're all good. All the little women are good. Very good women. Good little women. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully that uh, something in there was the banter, so. Yeah, let's go ahead and get into it. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Episode 7 of Cinescope Today. I'm joined once again by Eric Skoll. Eric, how are you doing? Hey, man, I'm great. Nice to talk to you. Yeah, it's been... Not as long a time as it was the previous time we <laughs> talked, so that's good. good <laughs> a be quicker back. turnaround. Mm-hmm. Well, let's go ahead and get into it because uh, I'm really excited to talk about this movie. We are talking about Little Women as our buzzfeeding <laughs> before the show officially started alluded to, and uh, I have a lot to say or a lot of thoughts, and I hope you do too. Absolutely. Okay, so this is the 2019 adaptation of Little Women. It released on Christmas of 2019, was directed and written by Greta Gerwig, who originally co-directed the movie Nights and Weekends with Joe Swanberg, but her previous film, as far as directing efforts go, was Lady Bird, which also starred Saoirse Ronan. So this is only her second solo directorial effort, which is amazing. The music is composed by Alexander Desplat, who here's another long list of great things. So he composed for The Queen, The Golden Compass, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, Fantastic Mr. Fox, The Twilight Saga, New Moon. So there's another Twilight composer. That's interesting. Gosh. Uh, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, parts one and two. King's Speech, Moonrise Kingdom, Zero Dark Thirty, The Grand Budapest Hotel, Godzilla, The Imitation Game, The Secret Life of Pets 1 and 2, The Light Between Oceans, The Shape of Water, 
Isle of Dogs and will be scoring the upcoming Black Widow film starring Scarlett Johansson and Guillermo del Toro's adaptation of Pinocchio. So a lot of big hits for Mr. Desplat as well, just like Carter Burwell did for the last film we talked about. And we've got a great cast here too. We've got Saoirse Ronan, uh, Florence Pugh, who had a great year in 2019. Uh, Emma Watson, Eliza Scanlon, Laura Dern, Timothy Chalamet, Chris Cooper, Bob Odenkirk, Tracy Letts, James Norton, Louis Garrel, and Jane Howdyshell as Hannah, their maid. So I'm curious what your prior experience with Little Women might be, Eric, and what your expectations, if any, were for this film. I feel like my only ever contact with little women it's like a crime was the butt of some joke on the simpsons okay I'm trying to remember if it was in the movie or something the sinkhole swallows their house and all that's left is like a book which is cover up little women or something burns down and all that's left is little women or or something but the the book is just referenced there i don't know how but i i missed the Winona, the 1994 adaptation, I just never saw it. It was never on TV when I was watching. I didn't just stop or ever look. And I was aware of the praise for it. But I, I think I probably am guilty of some gendering of the book as like, oh, that's a, a girl's book. Or, oh, that's a, you know, it's a, it's a women's story. I, I definitely... I'm open to reading about the experiences of women, but when hard-pressed, I don't make the time. I haven't made the time to check it out. And it wasn't until my dear friend Tree took me on opening day to see this Greta Gerwig film adaptation that I understood and saw, and I, you know, I was happy to go. It wasn't against my will. But I finally was able to experience what I think is probably a pretty good adaptation of the original source material, and my eyes were opened. And I genuinely loved it. That is great to hear. I have a lot more history with Little Women. You do? I saw your tweet. You were like, <laughs> you, you said as much. I, I, I've been waiting to hear this story for like three weeks now. So my first experience with Little Women was when I was a sophomore in high school. We did the Broadway adaptation, the musical <sighs> adaptation of Little Women. And so as a sophomore in high school, I was Professor Bear. I was Friedrich. So that was my first experience, and that led to me reading the book and loving the book and crying a lot over the musical <laughs> and the book. And then, yes, the 1994 version with Winona Ryder. That is sort of my introduction to it, at least. And I've just been really fond of it over the years. It was all those things together for it to be like a, a, a solid experience that I had being just in the middle of the story through the theater production and then reading the book and seeing the movie all in that tight span of time. It really, those really combined together and affected me deeply. Uh, the characters I loved, I celebrated with them, I wept for them. And I've just always looked back on the story of Little Women fondly. So the, the promise of this new adaptation that had such an all-star cast, it's coming from a celebrated writer-director in Gerwig. It's set firmly in the proper time period, unlike there, there was an adaptation that came out in 2018 as well, actually, uh, that starred Leah Thompson as Marmee. But it was no. set in the present day. 
are Leah Thompson. Nobody yeah, else is our Leah, Leah Thompson. Thompson. Yes, nobody else is Leah Thompson. <laughs> ours, ours. Uh, she she was Marmy, and it took place in present day. And I think it even had like Lucas Grabeel from High School Musical in it playing oh Laurie. So I don't. I, I can't speak fairly of the quality of that film because I haven't seen it, but it just didn't appeal to me as much because it's it's not the proper Little Women. It's not 1800s post-Civil War New England, you know? And so having all those things proper in line really excited me. And when I went into the movie, I actually only saw it earlier this week. I saw it on Monday, or two, Monday actually. Oh, I went into it knowing that I was going to be crying for most of it, <laughs> and I wasn't wrong. <laughs> uh, but where it did surprise me was how it was this refreshingly new and different take on the story. While, yes, I, from what I remember, at least, it has been a long time. It's very true to the book, to the original story that I was familiar with. There weren't any surprises in the way of story content that came to me. But overall, it was a fresh experience. It was really, really lovely. I knew what was going to happen. I knew how the relationships and the lives of these women were going to play out, but it didn't change the the powerful presentation in both the abilities of the actors. Like I said, it's an all-star cast, and for a reason, these these people pack some power. But also in the writing by Gerwig, it's just a creative spin on presenting this classic story, and she managed to bring forward some of the modern day applications that were in it and maybe even sprinkle in a little bit more of her own stuff uh, in the story as well. So I really liked, really liked this movie. <laughs> yeah. Now, are you a horror fan at all? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You mentioned Florence Pugh's big year. I assume that means you've seen Midsummer. I have seen Midsummer. Yes. Ooh, I have not yet, but I, I understand it's uh, on, a, on a short list for sure. It's an experience, for sure. <laughs> I don't know if there's a whole lot of uh, shared interest between Midsummer and uh, Little oh, Women. Oh, well, if you, if you like Amy from the new Greta Gerwig <laughs> film, you'll love her character, Midsummer. <laughs> but, uh, but the reason I ask is because, speaking of horror, I, I understand that Greta Gerwig did something really no one's done before with an adaptation of Little Women, and how I, it was recently done by Mike Flanagan, to adapt House on Haunted Hill, or sorry, The Haunting of Hill House. Mm-hmm. And the Netflix Hill House series did kind of the same thing. Instead of a, a narrative uh, going chronologically, they mixed up time periods for extra poignance. And mm-hmm. the film, Gerwig's Gretig, uh, film, jumps between time periods. And I was actually surprised to find out, after the fact, of course, that this is an entirely new way of telling the story. Absolutely is. I mean, looking at the 1994 version, it's purely chronological. And obviously the book is going to be that as well. So it, I think I had suspected that there might have been some timeline jumping around just because of this or that I might have seen on Twitter. But I am curious to know how well you follow the story with it jumping around so much. I left at some point pretty early on to go to the bathroom. So I missed like two or three time jumps. So I think I missed the early stuff with Professor Bear. Not all of it. But some of it, but when I came back, I think they were before they were in a scene than when I left, like, you know, five minutes earlier, which was in the future. So I was a little bit confused, but, mm-hmm. uh, but Tree, Tree turned to me and she like, told me what was going on. But um, I quickly realized, you know, I quickly followed, I think, 
but fortunately the setting and the timeline is so brilliantly i think constructed by not just the makeup but the, the costumes mm-hmm. and the music and i i think you can kind of tell when they're all living together and they're younger or when they're older and they're a little bit more jaded and and kind of going on so i i i honestly think like as far as physical de-aging going they they kind of did some good stuff with with that but for the most part it was pretty clear by the strength of everything else that they were doing time jumps and that it was a non-linear portrayal that's good to hear i was just a little concerned i I loved it and i had no problem with it but i was also very familiar with the story so i i didn't know how well it would have gone over to somebody who is new to the story so i'm glad to know that you followed along pretty well yeah, I saw on Twitter that somebody had a problem with some of the later time jumps. So they like either felt like there were too many or that it was, um, you know, by the end, kind of a tired gimmick or these weren't ways I felt. Um, but I did read some criticism after the uh, afterwards to 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 that general point. However, I also gather that Gerwig's film focused more on some of the other sisters that previous adaptations had focused more on Joe specifically. I had heard that anyway. I, I don't know if you can weigh in on, on whether or not that's true, that the other sisters got a little bit more attention in this version. Um, I'm not sure. I mean, Joe is always, I think, the focal point of the story, but there isn't anything like super heavy on my mind that was introduced to over... I say overemphasize. I don't mean like too much, but yeah, to, to yeah. bring out the other women um i i feel like i mean it's the same story i knew and the same things happened to amy and beth and meg that happened in the others but well you know what i think meg was given a little bit more to do for sure Mm. in the way her relationship with john plays out in the the quote present day scenes Mm. so yeah i i guess it was given a little bit more attention to in at least a couple regards to women besides joe yeah yeah, for sure. And I, the interesting thing, I was also reading that Joe was the most closely autobiographical character, essentially that the that the author um, who wrote Little Women saw herself in, in, in Joe or, or, or that she was the avatar or, or a, a partner to her real life self because this book itself was largely inspired by her own life. Yeah, I think that's true as well. Now, before we get to talking into more specific things about the film, we do want to close off the spoiler-free section. So I will say that I have a lot of fondness for the 1994 film that has Winona Ryder and Christian Bale and Claire Danes and Kristen Dunst and Susan Sarandon. So a lot of big people in that movie as well. And I love it. But I think that this one will be remembered as the definitive adaptation in the future. So wow. I think that, yes, absolutely, you should go see it. If you can still catch it in theaters, do it because one we need more films featuring and made by women and two this one's better than most films made by men anyway so you should definitely just go and see this movie yeah and again the costumes man they alone i i I just looking at the screen going i can't believe how much these colors pop and i didn't see it in like 3d d box imax or anything it was a normal 2d screen but I was blown away, man. The the costumes are amazing. The music is amazing. I was so mm-hmm. immediately taken in. And, you know, the strength of this movie is its acting but and, 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 and story to begin with. But my God, if the costumes and everything else aren't immediately right up there as well. The movie's been in theaters for nearly a month at this point. 
but thankfully the Oscars are coming up and it was very well-deservedly nominated for several awards. So you will be able to see it on the big screen going up to Oscar season. So make sure you go see it while you can. And if you don't get around to seeing it in the theater, go buy it. Give this movie money because we want more like it. (laughs) Yeah, it looks like it's currently made $111 million based off a budget of $40 million. That's excellent. Yeah. Okay, well, that's the end of the spoiler-free section. Let's talk about things a little bit more specifically. What specific story things? We we already talked a little bit about the the nonlinear storytelling, which I really liked because you see where characters are at today, quote today, 1868. (laughs) And there's a moment that reveals something about a character or it pays off a character trait. And then boom, you get a flashback to the origins of that trait in the early 1860s during the war or how that character became that way when they were a child. In a sense, and this is maybe not an appropriate uh, comparison considering it's Little Women and I'm about to compare it to Star Wars, but it's kind of like the concept of the machete order in Star Wars. Are you familiar with that? No. Okay, so the machete order concept for Star Wars is for people who've already seen the films. You start with A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back. And at the end of Empire Strikes Back, spoiler, I guess, if you haven't seen it, you find out Darth Vader is Luke's father. So you flash back to the prequel trilogy where you see how Vader became Vader. And then you go back to episode six, Return of the Jedi, and you rejoin Luke and Leia and Han back in the present to finish the end of that particular story. So in a sense, this is sort of accomplishing the same thing. We're in 1868. We see Joe being a teacher in New York City. She's already lived her childhood up to this point. But then we see something about her. She gets this look in her eyes. We go back to her childhood where she's reminiscing about an experience she had with her family during the war in the early 1860s. And it's really fantastic. It's a really unique way of exploring these characters in a different way than has been presented before. And after we've gotten that that character tidbit, after we've seen that personal anecdote from the past, we go back to the present and we see the next thing. And I thought that was so great. And and I mean, I, I'm, I was really impressed by how easy it was to get on board and root for Joe and watch her story and be so moved by the characters. I mean, she's struggling when she goes in and, 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 and presents sort of the first couple pages of her stories to see if she can't get a story published. You know, she's obviously desperate, but she has that spark of inspiration. And I think we can all identify with Joe as a main character. I think we, it's, I think it's extremely easy to, and as the story goes on, as you learn more about her sisters, you really do find that all four are, are represented quite well in that they're different people. They're, they're, they're each their own person. They're each their own women. They each have their own goals. They're raised by primarily their mother, um, mm-hmm. you know, an- another woman who is, is well-written, is well-rounded. You understand she has her own past, and she's, you know, she's trying to raise them up right. And even the, the notion that they're called little women because it was a mark of affection for their father who who is off at war really just sells that you're along with these women during their times of hardship for the ride but there's joy and there's sorrow and it kind of goes hand in hand it just feels like a life well lived so much of the story feels like things that have happened to you despite whether or not you've even had similar experiences it just feels like a real story of a real lived life 
that scene you mentioned at the publishing house at the very start of the film was the first one to make me tear up a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Which part? The, where Joe is so excited to have sold her story, mm-hmm. but you have to think, okay, she is excited because she sold her story to a man who is wanting to cut out most of it, who's <laughs> wanting to cut out and change things, dictating to her how he wants the next stories to go. She's not publishing her name on it. So there's all these reasons to not be excited about this, but her story is being published and that is the ultimate takeaway for her. And so it's a victory for her despite all these other things. And so that that's what made me tear up is that she's making these these compromises for her work but it's putting money on the table it makes her a published writer officially and so it's a win for her and over the course of the film we learn or she learns how to negotiate and how she eventually has to put her foot down and stand up for herself and for her vision and for what she wants to accomplish and the writer she wants to be these are not lessons for women these are not, they're women's stories, but these are lessons for all of humanity. Mm-hmm. These are lessons for people to be happy, to see victories in the small places, to always yearn for more, and to always be improving. And I see nothing but great things in each of these women, how they live, what they want. You know, you gotta shoot your shot. You gotta put yourself in your wants and desires first because life is too short otherwise poor beth dear beth Mm -hmm. she had a lot going for her but she won't be able to keep going and it's it could happen to any of us i agree that there is a certain universalness to all these characters where you and i as white men can take away and extrapolate things from these characters, but it's also so important that they are women because of the struggles they were facing purely because of their gender. Oh, Joe yeah. Joe selling that story is her saying to Aunt March, I made money for myself despite not marrying rich. And that's that's a huge thing because that was in a way unheard of for women at that time. It is so shocking always to hear this truth of history. This fact that that was your real prospect if you were born female, it was in education was discouraged. Um, being financially independent was like, well, where's your husband? And I, I really enjoy seeing the Meryl Streep character of the, is, she's the aunt, is it? Mm-hmm. Aunt yeah. March. Yes. Be so critical of each of the little women for their desire, for having their own wills particularly joe but also amy at times and you know there's a woman who has really bought i think the the narrative of the the day and to see everyone kind of push push back against that or Mm -hmm. when they need Anne march for learnedness when amy needs to travel to see the world to to get her education that way it's really quite interesting to watch what they have to go through and again it feels like real life sometimes you have to cozy up to people that are less than savory or you have to get together with people who don't share your same beliefs or won't even support your ambitions and especially there's a lot to be said about family as well going back to joe the way she rejects Lori, i think is really indicative of her mindset too because looking at the two of them they grew up thick and thin they seem to be a perfect match. They're the the perfect 
stubbornness for each other. They're, they they share similar dispositions and outlooks on life, and they, they are kindred spirits in a lot of ways. But she rejects him when he says, I love you, Joe. I think we should be together. And I think that says to think that they belong together and then to see her reject him is to realize that romance in general, seeking out a husband, is not something that was even remotely on Joe's mind because if it had been, then maybe she would have said yes to Laurie in the first place and she wouldn't have regretted it later when she writes the letter saying, you know what, actually I think we should be together. Maybe reconsider and I will reconsider. It's her seeking freedom from the need of marriage, which is why she then leaves to go to New York to pursue her own path. And when she does ultimately find a man to be with, it's not because she sought him out and she doesn't marry him because of his money. He's a professor who is scraping by the same way that she is. And she marries him eventually because she realizes she truly loves him. It's, it's the, the, the purest of reasons that she does find a husband, despite her earlier claims to the contrary. And it's reflected in her work as well. She would previously reject the idea of forcing her female lead characters into marriage just to satisfy a reader, to sell copies. Mm -hmm. But in the end, those closing moments of the film, she tells Dashwood, you know what? Sure, I'll do that. I'll marry her off because I have found a man for myself, but it's not because of the reasons I thought were previously corrupt and the things I was trying to avoid. It's because I have experienced love now. And so, yes, I'm okay with putting my my characters in love because I have seen the benefits that can reap. Absolutely. What do you have to say about Amy? I love Amy's talent and I love that she will not settle for Laurie because like she has loved him as she later tells him for her whole life. But the fact that she won't accept his love when she sees it as misplaced love for Joe is a really, well, I think it's a a crucial moment in the film. And I really admire her for standing up for herself in that way. Mm -hmm. Usually somebody as rich as Laurie comes along and is like, I want to marry you. And it is someone you love. Even she, I think it's, it's obviously a very tempting offer, but to reject him because it wouldn't be right. And he'd be miserable. It's kind of like what Joe said. If we married, we'd be miserable. And I think that it's extremely important to communicate. And I think the fact that Amy was able to do that is, is chef's kiss. It's great. Amy was always the one who wanted to be separate from the shadow of Joe. She said she always knew that she was going to marry well because it sort of gets her out of that life where she did grow up poor and she was the youngest of four daughters. And she wants to be able to sort of provide for herself, provide for her family, future children, whatever it may be. And what really struck me in this adaptation was when we see her overseas painting, she seems like if I saw her painting in front of me, I would say, wow, this is really great painting. This is a nice piece of work. This is good art. But she is critical of herself because she looks at somebody else and sees somebody else's, let's say, more creative artwork that's Mm -hmm. a a different representation of the same thing whereas hers is literal she sees somebody else's as creative and that's indicative again of the same relationship she had with joe joe was the creative writer of the family amy was the one who wanted to paint by numbers play by the rules and that's haunting her even in europe so that moment where laurie tries to cozy up to her in europe 
strikes even harder because she's experiencing this. She's been experiencing the same thing in Europe as she was experiencing back at home with Joe. So it, it is really nice to to then have him realize why she was hurting and for still her to take his advice and to rebuff the the affections of Fred Vaughn, who would have presumed to be her fiance, and then accept Laurie's love when he offers it a second time. So that, that's a really nice payoff. Absolutely. Anything to say about Meg? Interestingly, I, I feel like I'm going to get thrown out of the Harry Potter community if I say this. Emma Watson's Meg kind of felt a little less rounded to me. It's a shame because I, I, perhaps she benefits the least from the film focusing on all four of the little women. Meg being the one who was always deemed the one that is going to marry has its stresses, obviously. I sympathize with Meg, but I'm glad that she had the strength from within to marry for love. I admire that about her, too. Being the older sibling, the eldest daughter, she does have that expectation to get married to, again, provide for the family. But Lori, of all people, is the one who says, you know, you don't, you don't belong in this lifestyle. You don't need to put on an act for these people because it's not you. Yeah. And so John Brooke, the teacher, is the one who captures her attention. They fall in love. And that was something I really admired when we go back to the present day. And she, she buys this material for a dress. And she, she says, you know, I shouldn't do this. But she falls victim to temptation and does buy it feels awful afterward. There's that really heartbreaking scene at the kitchen table by candlelight where she expresses how unhappy she is at being po- about being poor. And it hurts his feelings. It hurts John's feelings. But then later, she th- they meet up again, and John says, you know what? Go make that dress. You deserve to have something that makes you feel pretty and makes you feel like you have this extravagant lifestyle, even for just the time that you're wearing it. And she says, you know what, I, I went and sold the material because I know that we needed the money. And so both of these characters at the same time made sacrifices for each other. And it's that that same moment where they realize the point of marriage, which is to sacrifice for the love of one, one another. And I really, I really liked that in particular. I don't remember that from previous adaptations. Oh, that's really good then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, Beth is, uh, it's, it's such a heartbreaking story. I mean, she's a kind kind soul. She's unfairly wise and old for her age due to her constant frailty and illness. And the fact that she even dies as a result of contracting scarlet fever from a trip to visit a family that's so poor that they can't feed themselves. It's like, I don't know, going on a mission trip and contracting a disease. And while you were out doing this, this selfless act, trying to help others and do things for others, it ends up being your downfall. And so that's really, really sad. But I, I, I just love the message. And when mm-hmm. their mother asks them if they would donate their meal to the less fortunate, these are the good morals that they're being raised with. And it does matter. It, 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 it matters so, 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 so much. And watching Beth's relationship as well with Mr. Lawrence develop and you know he's this lonely old guy i didn't know chris cooper could have kind eyes oh as yeah a, as an this actor is one of my favorite chris cooper performances i've never seen him with kind eyes usually he's like killing somebody or something and his <laughs> mr lawrence broke my darn heart and watching his tenderness with beth and beth's tenderness with him and and sort of 
the bond that they have was a highlight of the film. I mean, we haven't even talked about Saoirse Ronan and Joe, who's utterly breathtaking in every scene. But the moment between Mr. Lawrence and Beth, the moments between Mr. Lawrence and Beth, and after Beth has passed, Mr. Lawrence, again, kind of feeling as though he might have lost something resembling an anchor, is very emotionally taxing. That scene where he's standing outside of the house saying, Joe, I I couldn't bring myself to go in knowing that it's going to feel different without her there. It's really sad, but it's really touching because he saw Beth as like this shadow of his daughter who he had also lost. And so the fact that he reached out to her, allowed her into his home to play the piano, which gave him comfort, but it also gave her comfort. It extended a welcoming heart to her because she was otherwise cooped up in her place. And so it's this mutually beneficial relationship between those two characters that was really, really special. And, you know, Beth herself, like I said, she's she's unfairly wise and old for her age. She tells Joe as she's laying there dying, it's like the tide going out. It goes out slowly, but it can't be stopped. And she's the one who insists to Joe that you are a writer. You you have been a writer for longer than I've ever like for forever. You've been a writer. And this is after Joe had suffered the blow of having Professor Bear tell her, I don't think this is good. I don't think this is you. This isn't the potential. This isn't you living up to your potential as a writer. And that stings. And so she quits writing for a while. This person who'd been writing all night, every night for most of her life is suddenly unable to put a pencil to paper because she has such self-doubt. But it's Beth as she lays there dying, (laughs) (laughs) telling her, Joe, you are a writer. And this this is what I know to be true. I, I know that I'm dying and I know that you're a writer. And that man, that's so heartbreaking, but it's also so encouraging to have these sister characters encouraging each other like that. Agreed. Now I'm curious on your thoughts on Marmy. I mean, obviously everybody loves Laura Dern, but this is slightly a different version of Marmy than we've seen before. Uh, in what way? Well, for me, this adaptation humanizes her a little bit. Oh. It, it, it has been a long time since I've read the book or I've seen the, uh, the other film, but Marmee was just the steadfast mother figure in my mind. And she is in this film, but it was almost to the point of like, she, she's purely there to comfort Joe or to comfort Amy or Beth or whatever. But in this version, we see the cracks that have come from her having to weather the burden of being a single parent in the absence of her husband mm-hmm. during a war. There's the scene where she is working, giving out things to those in need. Uh, and the, the man comes and says, you know, I lost both of my sons in the war. And she takes off her scarf discreetly and puts it in the blanket that she's handing out, yep. almost like a romantic gesture. Like, maybe, I mean, call me up. Because I'm lonely too. But then right after that, she gets the the telegram about her own husband's injury and she flocks off to attend to him. So she is human. She's capable of human loneliness and she's capable of human temptations. And we see that too when later in the film she admits to Joe that she's been angry every day of her life for a long yes. time. And she doesn't come by patience naturally. She yes, loves her husband. When they're together, you can tell how much affection is between the two of them. And she loves the daughters that the two of them share. She puts on a brave face, though, because when he's off to war, she's angry that he's not there to help. And that's not something he can help because what he's doing is a good. He is doing what he sees as best for his family and ultimately for 
his nation, but it's leaving her alone. And so I really like that humanizing element of Marmy in this film. Me as well, for the exact same reasons. And really, Joe, I, I, you know how much I feel about parents having heart-to-hearts with their kids. I feel like that's a through line in many of the movies we've discussed, uh, which tend to be the movies that I've favored. And Mm -hmm. really, Joe realizing how human her mother is when her mother says that line, I've been angry every day, is I think not just a teachable moment, but something that Joe can strive towards. And as a parent, Marmy in this version is always setting the example. And I think it's not even just by being so stoic or being so perfect, but by being so flawed and still moving forward, I think is, is, is really, she's a great role model for everybody and having to weather the same storm because she's in the family and even a greater storm in losing a child, not just losing a sibling, but you know, no parent should have their child predecease them. Her struggle is so great. And we, you know, she is, even though not technically one of the little women of the Mm -hmm. March girls, she's a little woman. She's a, she is a, She's a character in the story who is fully fleshed out, who you root for, who you see fall, who you see get back up again. Oh, that scene after Beth has died, Joe comes downstairs yeah. and it mimics that memory that we saw where Joe woke up and came downstairs to find Beth healed. Mm-hmm. And we know, we know that that's not the case this time. Yep. And she just sees Marmy sitting there alone at the table and they break down and hold each other. That is such a powerful moment and such a powerful scene where mother and daughter are trying to console each other in the loss of such an important person. Mm-hmm. Do you have anything to say about Laurie? Because admittedly, I don't, I don't know if I have a lot to say about Laurie. Uh, Timothy Chalamet is great, but I'm just curious to know what you have to say. Yeah, I, this was the first role I believe I've seen to Timothy Chalamet in. I haven't seen here. I mean, I... I get it. I get the internet. Subs- <laughs> I get the internet's obsession with him. He's charming. He's he's got. It, it's just you know he's a character who has his flaws and is as privileged of a character that we can really expect to see in this kind of an environment. But you do feel his struggles in a in a, in a slightly different way as well. I, I think it was perfectly cast um, as a character, having him. I guess, figure out his own, what he wants, who he wants, what he wants to do, make himself useful. You know, he's, he's held to a different standard in society, but there are still expectations and there are still rules for him in the way that there are rules for women. And it's interesting because this version, I think, highlights just how he too is struggling within the confines of society. I think that's an important thing to point out for sure. Uh, he, he is not, by nature of being a man, free from the expectations put upon him. Uh, so in that way, he is a kindred spirit with these women. And what I do like about him is that he sort of ends up being the person that each of the little women, each of the March sisters needs. He is the friend for Joe as they're growing up. He is the one who introduces or puts the 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 bond between Beth and his uncle Mr. Lawrence. He is the one who convinces Meg this lifestyle isn't for you, you should marry for love. Mm-hmm. And in a twist, I think Amy ends up being the sister that he needs. Yeah. So, yes, he 
staves her off from Fred Vaughn in Europe, but in releasing her from Fred, he opens up the possibility of her being with him in which she is yes, marrying for money as she always said she would, but she is getting the side benefit of being able to marry for love as well for somebody who loves her back. Yeah. And and all I want out of a character who begins a story privileged is for them to recognize their privilege. And if they can simultaneously find what it is that they do want out of life and attain it, that's great too. I think Mm -hmm. Laurie goes on that journey. And I think that the struggles that the women face, and as you say, he's got these rare opportunities to be the one that the women need, give him some of the maturity that the women have gained through their hardships. Are there any other characters you wanted to talk about at all? <laughs> the father character. I, yeah, I will say I loved Bob Odenkirk. I, would, I saw a tweet like the next day that was like, I forget what GIF accompanied it, but it was like going, going <laughs> along, sitting down, watching couple hours of little women and then all of a sudden Saul Goodman shows up <laughs> in the film and then you can't take your eyes off him for the rest of the film I had I must admit part of that is very true I it took me three seconds because he comes in wearing a hat and I'm like mm-hmm. this guy looks familiar who the hell and then I look in his eyes and I'm like oh my god this is Bob Ode- I had no idea he was going to be in the movie <laughs> And yeah, it took me a little bit out of the movie. I was like, wait, what's he, what's he doing? What is Bob Odenkirk doing in this movie? I, like, he, he, then he's marrying his daughter, and I'm like, is, wait, he's a chaplain? What? Like, I guess I just missed all the previous. <laughs> so it, it, it was a distracting presence from an actor standpoint. The character I love. The character, I'm thrilled that he survives the war. That's not typically how these stories go, as far as I'm aware. Mm-hmm. You know, usually when you have a father off at war, he ain't coming back. So I was pleased by the subversion of my own expectations. And to see that he really has, through his good nature, inspired these girls to become the most that they can be. And so, you know, along with the mother, I'm thrilled that they have this solid foundation. Not everybody has that. And as a character, you know, I don't know what he does after he comes back from the war that is holy you know revelatory i i'm certainly glad he's back but i was expecting kind of a, another character beat there mm-hmm. as in you know we didn't kill this character off so that he can da, 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 da. but he you know at least consoles his wife when beth dies that's obviously very tragic and it's a good thing but there was nothing more that the story had to do with him following his return And so I found myself, especially with the time jumps in the Gerwig adaptation, asking myself, wait, what what does the dad do? Like, what's he doing for money? Like, what's what exactly is going on here? And so I had a couple of questions, but had I read the source material or seen another adaptation, I'm sure I wouldn't have. Well, honestly, I don't remember the father sticking around much after the Christmas where he does make it home after his injury. Mm. So we see Bob Odenkirk more in this film than we do Father March in the other ones, at least to my memory. Mm. That said, I, I actually kind of admire that even when he comes home, the focus doesn't suddenly shift away from Marmy and to him. We do see him being there for the family now in various family capacities at the funeral, at dinner, that kind of thing. When, when Professor Bear visits, 
I guess we should talk about him too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I assume you saved the, the second best uh, for second last. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I didn't mean to, but anyways, I, I, I like that we sh- we're still more focused on the women of the story because ultimately I think it is their story. Mm-hmm. I, I think it, it, it is their story, plain and simple. So Absolutely. yes, maybe I would have liked a little bit more with him upon his return, but I also admired that he didn't all of a sudden become the focal point just because he did survive. You know what? That's a completely fair point to make. Okay, Professor Bear. I think he's our last character to talk about. Professor Bear, the question I have to ask you as someone who knows the character, like the back <laughs> of your hand. Oh, actually, when I ask two, two questions. One, does he have a song in the musical? He does. Oh, he does. Does, yeah. he, does he have more than one song? Or what's kind of the deal? Uh, he's got a solo called How I Am, in which uh, he is responding to a letter that Joe has written him after she's returned home to Concord. Mm. And he doesn't know how to respond. He doesn't know how to share his feelings now that she's gone. So that, that's his solo song. And then they have a duet at the end of the film, or at the end of the musical, <laughs> as they decide to stand under the umbrella together ah yes the famous yes under the umbrella the song thusly called a small umbrella in the rain oh i love it <laughs> my next question is is it sexist when he tells joe that her work is no good i don't think so i think this is a guy who has been around joe in seeing her as a teacher and i mean they're li- they're living together not together together but they're in the same place and so they're they're socializing with each other and they're getting to know one another and so i think it's fair to say that he knows joe pretty well and to know her heart pretty well to a certain extent and for him to then read her stories which it even says in the film are filled with gore and violence and Mm -hmm. adventure and things that are so sort of not antithetical to joe but it, it just doesn't seem like her you'd think that somebody like joe would write about truth and about I don't know, deeper things than slashing somebody with a sword. Mm-hmm. And so when he reads that, he, him telling her, I, I don't like this, is just him, as, as he says, being honest. And I, I think that in his mind, he thinks that's exactly what Joe is asking for. And maybe being a German immigrant, he doesn't understand how, at least initially, how it hurts her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it hurts her so much she moves back home. <laughs> Well, that's what he suspects, I think. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, so I, I definitely think it, it had an impact. Um, I love his portrayal in the film. I like his character. And I was especially pleased that he comes to visit. That's such a joyful scene. You know, there's a bit of a lull. I think it's following Beth's death. And having him come to visit is a, a wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. I will admit that something that I was missing from this adaptation that was present in the 94 film was when Joe writes her book, she actually sends a manuscript to Friedrich in New York. And so when he comes to visit, he is delivering the manuscript again and has this moment where he tells her that it's the, the purest, most honest, most personal writing he's ever written and is just hugely com- complimentary of her work. Oh, and so I was missing that, and I, I really enjoyed that. But uh, I also, I mean, we got the the contrary scene in this one where he just comes and visits to basically ask her for a reason to stay yeah. and to to make amends, I suppose, since he probably does think that she left because of the words he said about her writing mm-hmm. uh, when it was ultimately deeper than that. So you get, th- th- there's, you know, it's a scale. I like this about this adaptation. I like this about this adaptation. That was one thing I, I did miss, but I, I did enjoy that scene where <laughs> everybody looks at Joe as he's leaving and says, 
what are you doing? You obviously love this person. And Joe, who has never been focused on love or really on self overly, she's been focused on her family so much for so many years that she was just completely blind to the fact that she does have such great affection for this person and does place such weight in his opinion. It's really the scene from Love Actually where <laughs> the woman <right laughs> realizes that she's in love with the prime minister and has to go back. Her whole family's there encouraging you know, her to, to, to chase after it. I think there's a, a lot of, there's a very Love Actually moment for this film. Well, did you want to say anything else about Joe before we moved on? Uh, not particularly, no. What do you have to say about Alexander Despot's score? Superb. Um, it's, yeah. <laughs> one, it's one of my favorite Desplat scores, and as you said at the top of the show, he's certainly got an impressive body of work, but um, it really fit every scene. It was never distracting. It was never too much. I think I recall quite a use of soft piano music. The piano and a lot of strings. Yeah, and there was, there was far more piano than I was expecting, and it worked everywhere it was. I was just so taken with it, and it, and it obviously helped with the immersion. Yeah, as, as is usually the case for these Today episodes of Cinescope, I don't have like an excessive amount to say about the score, as I might for some other films, but it is beautiful. I've been listening to it a lot the past couple of days at work, mm. and I, I like that. I mean, it's very typical Desplat, I think, where it is very lyrical, it is very pretty sounding, and what's special about it here is it's filled with like this wonder and vitality that propels the film forward this isn't the kind of film that has a lot of action it's not the kind of film that holds a lot of has a lot of energy in the way you might expect the word energy to be used but the music helps to to push scenes like the the scene where joe is writing the book at the end of the film forward and in a very exciting sort of edge of your seat kind of way even though it's not necessarily quote that kind of film right so the music's great. Definitely check it out. It's nominated for the Academy Awards, so you should go listen. Yeah. Now, in the course of our discussion, we've already talked about some takeaways and some of the greater themes, namely like women's place in society, mm -hmm. uh, which I think might even be more correctly stated as, quote, the expectations that society places upon women. There you go. Uh, things like you're not expected to work because you have to take care of the kids. So if you want your kids to have a comfortable life, you have to marry into money. That kind of expectation that Joe is fighting so hard against and even Meg ends up fighting against. Or if you want to get your own money separate of a rich humming, you, you better expect to become a famous actress or something because you're, there's no way that you'll get it on your own because the opportunities are too few. So I love how each of these characters sort of fights against that in their own way. Even Amy is in Europe seeking to better herself as an artist and to find more creative outlets for herself. And yes, she's pursuing Fred Vaughn and eventually Laurie, but the, the trip to Europe with Aunt March is more of a self-exploration than anything else. I would agree. Any other big takeaways for you? I think it is really about finding yourself and being true to yourself mm -hmm. and, and not bowing to the overwhelming pressure of society. I think so too. And I mean, like I said, we already, we talked a lot about all of these things in our character talk because it, it really lends itself to that. So any other sort of like closing thoughts on the film, at least I'm thrilled by all of the performances. I was really taken by where the camera chose to focus. And I just think that this was, it really brought this story into an age, not and and by being specifically not a um, modern adaptation, 
But to, by mm-hmm. being a modern adaptation of this story, it has, I think, the pleasure of being the one that is most going to be watched by this generation of moviegoers. And I think that that is right. I'm grateful that this film seems to have done as well at adapting as the 1994 film did before it. And while, I guess, freshening things up a little bit. So I'm just, you know, and I, I hope it does win at the Academy Awards. I'd like to see that further convey the prestige and further get people, at the very least, the fact that it's been nominated for the Academy Awards mean that more men somewhere out there will probably watch it on their annual got-to-watch-the-Oscar-films uh, <laughs> movies rewatch list. So for that, I am truly grateful. A quick thing that's not necessarily related to closing thoughts, but it's something I remembered while we were talking, is I read something not too long ago where Steven Spielberg actually, you know, he he directed Lincoln back mm-hmm. in 2012, which is actually one of my favorite Spielberg films. Mm-hmm. And that takes place in the 1860s, just like this film does. And so he actually got with Greta Gerwig and said, look, here's my notes on the costuming of this time period, of the set design, of the lighting that would have been present at this time. And he shared a lot of his resources in researching how to film Lincoln with Gerwig so that she could do the same or at least continue his work in the same way on Little Women. So I thought that was just a fun tidbit to share. Uh, Directors passing the torch. And for somebody like Spielberg, who is like the king of blockbuster cinema and cinema in a lot of ways since the 70s, to pass it on to Gerwig, who is young, she's a woman, she's newish to the scene as far as directing goes. It says a lot about Spielberg, I think, for him to be so open in helping Gerwig to be authentic, I think. I, yeah, I think that filmmakers, especially ones as prestigious with the number of resources that Spielberg has, one such as Spielberg has, it's important that they share and it's important that they collaborate. And that's what I want to see more of in the future, that these aren't individual films made by individual people, that the people consuming these films, the audience is a mass, is a general people. And I really want to see the people making these films kind of get together more in this way. And as for my final thoughts, you know, I I love this movie. I love the story to begin with. I was always, unless this was just a bad bad adaptation, I was always going to enjoy this movie. (laughs) So I'm just glad that it was a great adaptation. It was better than I could have hoped for. And I will probably, I think, try and catch it before it leaves theaters again, honestly. I I enjoyed it that much. And so I am eager to check off one of my A-list tickets from AMC uh, and use it for (laughs) this film again. I would would and will see this film again. If not in theaters, I'll probably own it. I will definitely own it as well. This will probably be another day one purchase. There you go. Well, that's it for Cinescope Today, Episode 7. Everybody, thank you all for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the movie, but also our discussion over the movie. Contact for the show, facebook.com slash Podcast at CinescopePod on Twitter is the best place to follow and to chat. Please consider going over to Apple Podcasts. Give us a rating and review. Hit that subscribe button for exposure. If you have feedback or ideas, you can email Podcast at gmail.com. Now, Eric, where can we find you online? I'm primarily on Twitter at Spielerman, S-P-I-E-L-E-R-M-A-N. 
on Twitter, and that is where you can find me. I mostly retweet uh, other people's smart takes on <laughs> film, but I'm uh, always thrilled when I get asked to discuss uh, film and stuff uh, with my good buddy Chad. Me too. I'm always glad to have you back, and I can't wait until we get you back again already. Yeah, it's, uh, it's always a good time. Now, the best place to find me is on Twitter also. That is Chadadada, C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A. And there's my other podcast that talks about every single episode of The Office. It is titled An American Workplace. It is now completed. So the full archive can be found where podcasts can be found and at workplacepodcast.com. And show notes and contact information for this show can be found at thecinescopepodcast.com. Thank you, everybody, once again for listening. Have fun and celebrate movies. (laughs) 